I thought we, we could keep building on last week because we were talking about uh, resist not evil, mm. <laughs> which is a, a, a complicated... He listened and a laugh. People are like, well, what is that? That's a verse in the Bible. Yeah. It says not to resist evil. And so we, we talked about that last week. And after today, to fill out the picture, you'll want to go back and, and, and read, or not read, go back and listen to last week. But um, that's an interesting thought about resist not evil, because then you have James, and this is where we want to pick up and, and look at it from this perspective, from the other perspective. Because you have Jesus say, resist not evil, right? Which that can be a, a complicated thought. That can confound our wisdom. Yes. Right, because the whole point is we're supposed to resist evil. You'll even have we even have popular sayings that are all that I, I'm going to paraphrase it. The all that evil needs to be able to work what it wants to do is for good men to do nothing. And guess what? That's in Hesitations five too. <laughs> That's not in the Bible. It doesn't say that in the Bible, right? And and. And just to give people an idea of how you weigh your own thoughts, I know we think a lot about our own thoughts. Like, we feel real good about our own conclusions. That's why we have them. Like, we think they're real good, right? That's why we have them. So I just want, I say this with all humility, including myself in this. All of our own conclusions and opinions are dumb. They really are, right? And so you want to weigh everything you think up against Jesus, right? And see what it looks like next to Jesus, Right. And what you see manifest in him. So Jesus is the just one. You want to talk about good men. Jesus is the good man, the epitome of the good man. And you don't see Jesus resisting evil on the cross. Do you? No, no, you don't. And so that doesn't mean you take that and just swallow it down if you're choking on it. If you're choking on it. That's also a good sign. What that means is, is the Holy Spirit is trying to catch you up into a conversation about what that actually means so that God can bring the same thing forth in you. Not so you can figure out how to do it, not so you can walk away feeling sorrowful, but the, so you can be caught up in a conversation with God about what does that look like? How does that make sense? And really, the wisdom revealed in Jesus, do you know what Paul said about the wisdom revealed in Jesus in 1 Corinthians 1? You can go and read it. It says it makes foolish the wisdom of the world. And do you know what that means? That means what was seen in Jesus looks foolish to the world. And it sounds foolish to not resist evil when you first hear it. Right? So it's not for you to hear it with your carnal mind and think, well, i got to go apply it. I'm never going to resist any kind of an evil. That's... You want to get caught up with God. What does this mean, Lord? Yeah. Right? What does this look like? There's something else going on here. Right? And then you get caught up in a conversation with God. But the other side of that, right? Because the, the mind will think of, of verses and things. And so Jesus says, resist not evil. But then James comes and says in James chapter 4, resist the devil. <laughs> and he will flee from you. And so now you have do not resist and you have resist which seems like two contradictory thoughts, right? So how do those two thoughts go together? And we already talked about what it means not to resist evil. And we talk about how the reason why you wouldn't resist evil is because you see God has resisted evil inside of the body of Jesus. And by beholding his strength to resist death in the body of Jesus, what happens is, is that brings something forth in you where you don't carry the weight of sin, meaning you don't carry the weight on your own shoulders of perfecting your own life from sin and death. 
-hmm. right? Because the sin that so easily besets us all is for us to look at something in our lives that we say is crooked, Mm -hmm. that we say isn't right. Whether it be in our personal relationship, whether it be in our job, whether it be in our country, whether it be in our government, whether it be in any of that, when we see something that's crooked, the sin that so easily besets us isn't that we go and do a bad thing. It isn't that you go drink too much on Bourbon Street during Mardi Gras. It isn't that you cuss somebody out at the ball game because they were the other, they were rooting for the opposing team. That's not the sin that so easily besets us. That's not what it's talking about. It uses the word weight. The sin that so easily besets us is we desire a perfect life. We desire our life to be perfected from anything that's corrupt, anything that's crooked. And as we walk in this world, we're going to see some crookedness. And the weight that tries to come upon us when we see crookedness is we're being tempted to now perfect the crookedness we see. We're being tempted to carry the burden of bringing forth life ourselves, right? That's resisting evil, right? You see death, and now you're going to try to resist death. So when you think of resisting evil, you could look at it that way, resisting death, right? Trying to resist death. That's what it means to resist evil. That's what it means to resist sin. Right? Jesus resisted sin on the cross. Right, And the way he resisted sin was he resisted death. Or rather, he found something dwelling in him that was resisting death. He found something dwelling in him that was resisting sin or resisting the temptation to take the burden of perfecting the death he was in onto himself. He didn't do it. Did he perfect himself from the death of the cross? Is there anything more crooked that could happen to a person that would happen to that dude on the cross? No. Right? He endured. He resisted not the evil. Did he? Re- he didn't resist not the evil. He didn't. Re- didn't. He didn't try not to resist the evil by reading it on a board and say, "Thou shalt not resist evil." What he saw is, and this is the knowledge of good and evil wrapped up into all this. What he saw is, death is evil. Death isn't right. But he saw that there's a life in God that is also dwelling in him that can even resist death. That will even cause him to overcome death in the flesh. That will even raise him up from the death of this cross in glorified immortal flesh. And that resisted death in him. That caused him to endure the temptation, the, the temptation and the weight or the sin that so easily besets us which is to try to take up your own life, right? I mean, all wars and fightings and backbitings and strifes, do you know what it comes from? Two groups of people or two individuals trying to take up their own life. In a personal relationship, you know why a husband and wife will fight? Because they're both trying to take up their own life. And both of them perceive the other one to be doing something crooked that isn't exactly right. And we got to perfect this crookedness. Right? And one of us might be more quick to see the crookedness. And then we come and talk about the crookedness. And then the other one will think, well, it's crooked that you coming and pointing out the crookedness. And now you got both people trying to resist evil, trying to resist death themselves. And here comes wars. Right? You follow that? That's just a brief synopsis of what is going on. Right? Now, so that, that, that that's a brief you know, rundown. I, I encourage everybody to go listen to it because all of us have some weight that is trying to come upon us in our life. Every single one of us has something in our life that we think is crooked and that crookedness is tempting us, right? That's the sin that so easily besets us. 
It's like trying to come and offer a sacrifice to cleanse yourself from sin and death, right? It's the same kind of a thing. What can I offer up with my own hands that can cleanse me from this sin and death sacrifice? Right? That's the sin that so easily besets us. That's what the author of Hebrews is talking about. Because those guys had taken upon themselves the burden of cleansing themselves from death. They were continuing to offer the animal sacrifices. Right? They were trying to resist sin themselves by perfecting themselves from death. Okay? So now James comes and says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. So what do you guys think about that? Because that sounds like a contradiction. Now he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But first he says, submit to God. Yeah. And that is the resistance without resistance. Bada bang. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> and so what does it look like to submit unto God? What does that look like? And what is it to resist the devil? Right? Because listen, we'll put this example out there. Let's say I get a fever. Right? Am I now going to call rebuking the fever, resisting the devil? No. Does anybody think the fever come from God? No. no. Okay, so the fever didn't come from God. It's the fruit of death. Yeah, right. So if I get a fever or a sickness, does resist the devil look like me now taking authority over that sickness? <laughs> That's not... Right, okay, right. so what is it you're actually resisting? Dana, I think Dana answered perfectly. Yeah. It's a passive action in the Hebrew. It's an action that occurs in you, not based on something you actively do, but something that works in you. And she correctly points out the beginning of the verse tells you how you would resist the devil. Submit unto God. So what is it to resist the devil? These people are so smart. <laughs> Y'all are so well taught. I gotta find the person that's been teaching all this. Maybe I can learn something. Well, Dana obviously has learned on her own, unless Maurice is the one telling her. But you know, did everybody say that again, Michelle? Uh, I guess it's resisting the temptation to pick up and take the burden upon yourself. That's exactly right. What is the devil? Again, we're looking at Jesus. All of us could come with our own conclusions about what we think resisting the devil or resisting temptation looks like. The author of Hebrews talks about the temptation common to all people. And it says that Jesus endured the temptation common to all people, right? That's resisting the devil. Now, when did Jesus resist the temptation common to all people? Because that tells us what the temptation is. And that tells us how the devil tries to come to us, right? On the cross is when Jesus was being tempted. And what was the devil tempting him to do? Get down off that yeah, cross. Get off the cross. Yeah. Like Michelle pointed out, take upon yeah. yourself the weight mm -hmm. yeah. of saving yourself. Save yourself, he says. Right. If he, yeah. he straight out says it. Right. Right. Jesus called the Pharisees the children or the seed of the devil, meaning they had derived their wisdom from the devil, and the devil's death was born in them. And it was the Pharisees that were standing there, talking like the devil, telling Jesus, save himself. That's the sin that so easily besets us. That's the weight, right? We all want life. We all hate crookedness. And so it's real deceiving for someone to come and tell us to save ourselves from death because it's good to be saved from death. None of us think it's evil to be saved from death. Right. How many of you think it's evil to be saved from death? We all say it's good, yeah. don't we? Yeah. 
That's why it's so easy for us to be tempted to try to save ourselves from death. Right? So it isn't evil to be saved from death. But you know what is evil in the sense of the Bible's use of the word evil? It is evil to try to save yourself from death. Right. And the reason why it's evil is because you're trusting in your own strength right. instead of the strength of God. Right? right? Yeah. So Satan was tempting Jesus to save himself. Look at this body of death. Oh, wretched man that you are. Who shall save you from this? Where's your God? You have no shepherd. You're left to shepherd your own life. Come down off the cross. Right? You see him tempting him? And so Jesus resisted the devil. Or rather, we use that language, but we want to keep in mind the carnal mind could hear resist the devil and think of an active action instead of a passive action. So how did Jesus resist the devil in that place? He looked unto the Father for his life. He looked unto the Father for his life. Right? To Dana's point, submission unto God. He was being asked to prove who he was. That's right. And he resisted that desire of his ego and his flesh to do that. Yeah. And what would the desire of the flesh to be? Zap them all. (laughs) (laughs) That would be the fruit of trying to satisfy the desire of the flesh yourself. What is it that the flesh wants? Because the carnal mind... And we'll use the, the word carnal mind for what you said, the ego. The ego is not the father no. of the evil. The ego has been fathered by something else. Yes. What fathers the ego? Right? I see it as rejecting the wisdom that Satan would come with. And what's the wisdom? The wisdom is that you can attain life by your will, the work of your hands, your you can do it. You can do it all in your own strength or your own power, and that's. I just see that as the accusation towards man and towards God. So, I reject that. Yeah. And what would make you think that you needed to do that at all? Um, not trusting that God would yeah. do it. Not trusting yeah. that God would do it. Yeah. Right. Also, finding yourself in the place where you see death. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Adam didn't have any thought about needing to be clothed. Before he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right. Uh, Right? So that kind of thinking doesn't even compute to you unless you first see yourself as dying dying. and needing life, which is what the flesh actually desires. Mm -hmm. The flesh does not desire to die. The flesh does not desire to grow old. The flesh does not desire to be weak. The flesh does not desire to feel weakness, to feel uncomfortableness. The flesh wants to live. Right? That's what it wants. That's what gives birth to the ego, which is the, the thought of self, yes. right? I must preserve myself. I must care for myself. Mm. I must keep myself from being harmed. I must comfort myself. Mm. I must gather peace and love and joy to myself. Self, self, self. Yes. I, 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 I. Mm. The ego doesn't have a place to be born unless you're trying to carry the weight of your own life onto your own shoulders, right? Mm. So there's Jesus on the cross. The temptation is to save himself. Save himself from what? Death. Well, can you tempt a guy to save himself from death unless death is first there? No. Mm. No? What do I need to save myself from if death isn't even here? Right. Yeah. Right? So submit yourself unto God. 
What does it look like to be submitted unto God? Because that's what resists the devil, to Dana's point. That is what resists the devil. So we don't have to come. We can use our own intellects if we like, but we want to use Jesus as the ultimate picture of what it looks like to be submitted unto God. Does anybody have any thoughts about? I think submission, just like resistance, is something that happens to you. Jesus had a persuasion in his heart that his father would not leave him in the grave. Right. That persuasion gave rise to the fruit of submission in his life as he hung on the cross. Yeah. Yeah. He saw the life he had with the father before. Yeah. <clears throat> which would which would war. I don't want anybody to miss this point because I don't want to miss it. You can't will yourself to submit. Nope. No. That's the using the power of life. Exactly. Using the power of the flesh exactly. to try to have life. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, good. I'm glad you brought that in. Now connect that with Phil. You can't will yourself to submit. It's something that happens to you. Right. It's right. something right. that happened to Jesus when he when saw the, the, the life that he shared with the Father <laughs> from the beginning. Right. In the Father is a life that even overcomes death in the flesh. Right. The Father has given that that life would dwell even inside of my earthen vessel. Yep. That life that's dwelling in me, it will raise me up out of the grave. It will overcome the deadness in my body right now. It will prove that I'm the Son of God. The only way you can be shown or proven to be the Son of God, remember there's a difference between if you are and for it to be proven. So Jesus was the Son of God, right? But he was proven to be the Son of God, the Scripture says, through the resurrection. Because now all of a sudden he has the life and immortality of God inside of his physical body. Touch me, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bone. I'm not a spirit, right? I promise you, in the day you see your flesh perishing, it's going to do you no good to think I'm going to live forever as a spirit. Your flesh is going to be like, what about me? <laughs> you, you ever had two? You ever had two kids and told one of the kids you can have what they both want, but the other one can't? Is the other one happy that this one gets to have it? No, no the one that doesn't get it is going to be very upset. And so, listen, you're not a spirit. You're a human being. You have a spirit, soul, and a body. And so your flesh needs to hear about how it will be preserved eternally by the life of God. So Jesus' submission was born in him. Submission was born in him by him beholding the life that he has from the Father, that he shared with the Father from the beginning. He could be thinking of how this life created everything. This life brought forth order out of the midst of chaos in Genesis. This life entered into the face of the deep in the midst of the darkness and brought forth life and light. That life is in me. Oh, I am that life. I'm actually the seed of God's life. And I'm in this corruptible body right now. And I don't need to try to save myself because the life that's in me will raise me up from this death. That's how he resisted the temptation to save himself. Yeah. Right? What he was abiding in resisted the temptation to fall for that. Adam in the garden, before he had eaten of either tree, he was subjected to that and he fell for it because he was not abiding in the life of God. Had he eaten of the tree of life first, then when that other temptation presented itself, it, it wouldn't even make sense. Mm. I mean, like I could say to Maurice, you can't retire unless you have a billion dollars in the bank. I'm assuming you I'd don't have a billion I'd still be working. I'd still be working. But what I'm saying is, 
you uh -huh. have prepared yourself according to a wisdom that's different than that. Yeah. So when somebody comes and says that to you, well, you're already retired. I'm assuming you don't have a billion, but now that don't make sense to you because you know better. You're walking in something that's contrary to that. And as we're walking in the life of God, when the wisdom of the world presents itself, it's, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's contrary. We read that, you know, the, the, the wisdom of God is foolishness to the carnal mind. Right. Well, it worked in the reverse too. Absolutely. Yeah. The carnal mind is, is foolishness to the mind of That's the spirit. Right. Yeah. It or it should. It should be. How can you can look at it this way? Can death convince eternal life that it can die? No. no. That's why it's foolishness. Okay. That's what the church does. You see, it's like when we it's very interesting. Like our daughter came in from out of town, asked us to go to their church. And the basic message to the church was, run to Jesus because you'll go to hell if you don't. And so what it's saying is you got to uh, bite off the tree of death to do a transaction to buy fire insurance from God. <laughs> and then you don't go to hell. So the very, which is very subtle because mm -hmm. you're in church. You got very <laughs> well-meaning people who are trying to save you, right. quote, and they're telling you that you have to enter into this transaction of buying fire insurance, clean yourself up, get right with God, do this. Then you could be in a position to buy a fire insurance. And then you don't go to hell. Yeah. And so, you know, when our daughter was asking us, will we go to church with her this morning? I tried very inartfully conveyed to her. I said, like, if you were married someone and you know, one of the spouses say, well, you ought to marry me or are you going to be on the streets? I'm going to throw you out in the streets or are you going to be abandoned? They might marry you, but you're being married out of fear. Yeah. And it's not being persuaded by love. Mm -hmm. And so very, so very, that's what, in a very subtle way, that's what the modern church does, is it basically says, use the tree of death to transaction with Jesus so that you don't go to hell. Yeah. And, and so therefore, mm. and there's something instinctually you know is wrong with it. That's why people run from the church. Yeah. Yeah. Or they suffer through the hour and a half they have to listen to that crap. <laughs> but um, but, no there's, but, there's a, but there's a worldly wisdom to it that looks yeah, yeah, right. That looks, looks, right. right. And so, and I don't that, who and that's what goes to the you know? point is the fact is it's not transactional. It's just... yeah. And, and what you just described, Doug, for, for anybody that would watch this online, the people that don't, don't I know. I apologize for cursing. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't mean anything. Uh, You've been sanctified once for all. By the blood of the Lamb. Um, what Doug's describing when he says the modern church is, and most of us have only been exposed to one part of the modern church, which is Western theology. Mm -hmm. Right? And what Doug just described is what is traditionally a Western thought when it comes to God and theology. Yes. You have a whole Eastern thought that would be called Eastern Orthodox theology that takes its cue about God from a completely contrary view, right? And you, most people wouldn't even know this if they hadn't studied church history. But you have what's called the early church fathers, right? And the early church fathers are not the apostles and the prophets. <laughs> so you don't build your doctrine upon what they say. But if you study those things, you could see where the theology split in the vein of thought. And the Eastern Orthodox Church would never perceive God to be transactional like the Western 
side has. And really, Augustine is who brought in the transactional side, the transactional understanding of the atonement. And it came from him trying to explain what he didn't understand. He couldn't read Greek. He couldn't read any of those things. And so he was grappling with these thoughts, and he did the best he could to try to explain it. And he used some very unfortunate language that has created a whole section of Christianity that is born from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, like you said. Mm. It's actually born from the wisdom of the serpent, right? But there, there is an Eastern Orthodox Church that wouldn't look at that at all. They wouldn't see the cross as transactional at all. They wouldn't see God as transactional at all. What they would see is God never felt separated from his people. And that doesn't mean his people weren't dying. But what it would mean is God never looked at man in their sin and their death and think all of a sudden they don't live and move and have their being in me. He still saw that we live and move and have our being in him. He still saw that we were his image. We had gotten marred like an old coin, but the image was still his image. He still saw us as his offspring. And because when he looked at us, he saw us as his people, he felt very burdened by the death we were suffering. And he looked at himself and he said, in me is a life that conquers death. And so then what he did was, is he took our death onto himself so that in him, having a life that conquers death, he could consume death from the inside out and thus take vengeance on the death that was warring against his people. That's how they would describe the atonement. And for those of you that don't know different atonement theories, you don't have to, but that's what they would call Christus Victor. That's the Eastern Orthodox atonement theory, Christus Victor. The Western atonement theory is called penal substitution, right. whereby it's not sin that's punishing people with death, it's God. Right. And if you don't now obey God in the sense of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil's idea of obedience, what's going to happen is God's going to punish you with death. And so they actually paint God in the image of the Satan, mm. of Satan himself, of the thief that steals, kills, and destroys, mm. which is what... The whole world had done before Jesus came. That's why Jesus says in John, and we make a big point to belabor that in this church. That's why Jesus said it's the thief that steals, kills, and destroys. Right. Do you know why you even have to say that? Because everybody thinks it's God. <laughs> the whole Jewish culture, if, if you had leprosy, right. do you know what they thought that was a sign of? That you were forsaken by God. Right. How could you have this sin or this death in your flesh right. unless God had abandoned you? And the only reason why he would abandon you is because he's disgusted with right. you by your sin. Same thing with the woman with the issue of blood. Mm. Right? It, it was a sign to them. And so Jesus comes into the earth and says, no, 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 no. God has never been ashamed to call you his own. The problem isn't him receiving you. The problem is you receiving him. And you haven't known him as father. And so you've been living like an orphan. And how can he save you from your sin if you're still trying to serve yourself with life? He can't save you from your sin unless you can see he's father. And you will submit your life into his hands by seeing the thought he's taken to give your life the care that it needs. That he actually has a life in himself that will pamper you and comfort you and give you peace and love and joy. And so now Jesus comes into the earth to demonstrate the father. And who does he heal? He heals the sick people. The people everybody said were the rejected of God. And he's doing it as God. And so he's demonstrating it's not God that steals, kills, and destroys. It's God that comes to give life. Right? And so you guys could, you want, you could keep that in your mind. We've grown up in a Western civilization. Most of us have never even been confronted with that. There is massive, massive, massive amounts of writing and uh, literature um, and videos that are from a completely different vein 
of Christianity that would not think like that at all and would actually call that heresy, right? Speaking of the atonement, uh, this weekend's Yom Kippur. Starting this evening, sundown, and then through tomorrow, sunset. Lisa is in Israel right now. Oh, wow. And, uh, she said, well, I can't do anything. It's Yom Kippur. Everything's shut down. It's it's against the law to open your shop and work. So what they're doing is they're resisting the evil of working, which in itself is an evil. Yeah. (laughs) It's like you can't, you can't. Even one airport shuts down. The shops, the transportation, banks, everything shuts down. And so people go to the beach. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's such an exaggerated uh, perversion when you think about right. it. You know, it's, it's, it's what, you know, it's not an example of what we're talking about. Of, they think it's evil to work during this period of atonement. And then so they're going to work the not working. Right. They're going to work the not working. That's what the carnal mind does. And that's what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil does. The tree of knowledge of good and evil would say, it's good to be at rest. So now, don't do any work. That's what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would say. The mind of Christ or the tree of life would come and put the work of the Father on display in your midst. And when you saw that the Father does work, has work, is working... That will bring forth rest in you. Come to me and I'll give you rest. That's the difference, right? Jesus on the Sabbath was healing people when they were not working. And they thought Jesus was doing the evil while they were the ones doing the evil by working, not working. And what did Jesus say? It's a powerful thing that he says. He says, well, no, he says, I see that the Father does work. And since I and the Father are one, I also Uh, And so on the day that they weren't supposed to work. And so Jesus comes and says, the Sabbath isn't telling you not to work. The Sabbath is telling you the Father has worked. So that in you beholding the work of the Father, you would enter or experience the rest that's found in the Father's work. Right? And that's, that's the difference there. So jumping back to submit yourselves unto God. You can't do that yourself. Right? It happens as you see the life the Father has in himself to give you as a gift. That life that he has in himself to give you, guess what it looks like? It looks like the resurrected Lord Jesus. Now that's a compelling thing because we need to see that this life can conquer death. We need to see this life can't be stolen from. We need to see that this life can give us everything we're desiring. Otherwise, we'll never be able to submit unto it. You can't submit unto something that you don't think can satisfy all your needs. And women, you might be able to understand that kind of thing. You ever found the ability to submit unto a man that you thought was just a scoundrel? Did you find something in you saying, don't do it, don't do it? Did you find something in you that was like stiff-arming it? That's the same kind of dynamic. God doesn't come and demand that you submit. He comes and shows you something that actually satisfies your every desire. And he'll even sit with you and let you walk through it with him. Let you question whether or not it can satisfy your every desire. Let you say, but how does it satisfy this? How does it satisfy? He'll walk through that with you. And at the end of the day, you'll find the life he has in himself 
The love in his heart for you satisfies everything you need. And what will happen is you'll submit, meaning you'll commit the care of your life into the hands of God, which is what James would also go on to say, humble yourself before the mighty hand of the Lord and he will exalt you. Exalt you to the presidency of the United States? No. Exalt you to the president of Ford? No. Exalt you to the greatest preacher that ever lived? No. He will exalt you unto life. Meaning, he'll pick you up out of the miry clay, which is the dust body that can die, the dust life that can die, the grave, and he will seat you in himself through Christ in a place that can never be overcome by sin and death again, which is what you're wanting to begin with. And so that's the whole resist, not evil, but then resist the devil. The devil is actually tempting you to resist the evil. Exactly. And so the way you would resist the devil is that you would find yourself beholding the life that's in God. And that will convince you that this life will resist this death. And that will convince you that you don't need to perfect yourself from sin and death. And that will resist the devil. Resist the temptation to resist. Right. And he's tempting you to resist the evil. How many of you, it's like, I love looking at relationships because we, we have relationships. I promise you, like, if I just use Becky and I as an example, and we'll just make, you know, ourselves transparent. If there's been times where Becky thought I wasn't doing something right, and, and to use Bible language, she thinks there's something crooked there that's hurting us. And she tries to resist it. And she tries to resist it by coming and pointing out the crookedness. How many of you know... That's never produced peace, love, and joy. How many of you know that in that dynamic, what it produced was strife and backbiting and fighting? And vice versa. Didn't just Becky. If I come to Becky, I had to learn this early on in my life with Becky because I found myself looking at all these things and coming to her. Well, this is crooked. That's crooked. This is crooked. Right? How, how many of you know that not one time that I did that, did it ever result in love? and unity and intimacy and closeness do you know what it always resulted more in death and this comes and describes paul's dynamic where he sees the good but he finds a different dynamic dwelling in his members that when he uses his own ability to try to bring about what's good he doesn't bring about what's good but rather he brings about more evil what he's saying is this body has death in it and if i try to enlist this body that has death to bring forth life, I'm not going to bring forth life. I'm going to bring forth more death. And so in you thinking you're going to make the situation straight and you're going to heal the crookedness, I promise you, you're bringing more crookedness. And it's not because you want to bring more crookedness. That's why it's so deceiving. Right? And so the answer is that you need to go out and figure out how to have peace with the crookedness. This Again, it's not a function of the will. It's let me sit with God and behold the life he has that he's given me and let me see how that life makes everything straight. And you can even begin with God by saying, Lord, I don't know how it makes this crookedness straight. If that's where you're at, that's a powerful place to be. You're like a little child. You're running into the laps of the father and you're saying, I don't understand how your life or the resurrection makes this crooked or this straight in my heart. But I know that it does. And now you're coming to him. Right? And what will happen is, is you'll have your heart restored. Right? Your soul restored. Peace will come from God instead of you trying to get peace for making this straight. Uh Right? Uh And then what happens is that you can actually dwell in the situation with wisdom. 
right? And you actually will be a peacemaker in the situation. I promise you, when you engage with somebody from the perspective of this is crooked and we're going to fix it, (laughs) you're not coming considering their heart. You're not coming considering what they're dealing with. You're not coming considering what's warring against their life. You're not thinking about their life. You're thinking about your own. And so your communication isn't peppered with grace. It's not peppered with the strength of God, right? You have a good desire. You desire life. That's a nice desire. You don't like crookedness. That's good. But now you're mixing your desire with the strength in your own hand instead of the strength of God. Right. And so the other person won't be able to hear anything that you're saying. They won't see it as you coming and grabbing their hand and we're in this together and we're going to walk out of this. Do you know what they'll feel? They'll feel this. They'll feel that you're uncovering their nakedness. And do you know what you're now tempting them to do? To cover their own nakedness. Right. And now, you know what they're going to start doing? Pointing out your nakedness. And now you got two cats that are both pointing out each other's nakedness. And Satan's sitting back with popcorn. Isn't yeah. this lovely? Satan's like, I'm supposed to be the one that uncovers. I don't even have to do it anymore. These dudes are all uncovering their own nakedness. Hallelujah. Oh, right? Yeah. Do you guys see that that dynamic? That's what the humble... We The scriptures can use this language that sounds so theological. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of the Lord and he will exalt you. Man, don't just read the scriptures and think, okay, that's a heavy theological thought. It's actually a a deeply personal kind of normal day-to-day life kind of a thing. And you can ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Jesus humbled himself before the mighty hand of the Lord, and he was exalted. So ask yourself, what did that look like in him? Did Jesus say, I will humble myself before the mighty hand of the Lord? And he will exalt me. You know what he said? Abba! Into your hands. I cast the care of my life, right? He had a desire for his life to be cared for. He saw that he needed care. He saw he needed this dying body to be made whole. He saw he needed the deadness of his flesh to be eradicated. And he saw that the Father was with him. And it was the Father's good pleasure to lift this death off of him. It was the Father's good pleasure to serve him with life. And so he cast the care of his life onto the Father, into the Father's hands. That's the humbling of yourself. Right? Humble yourself means don't look to your own strength to exalt yourself to life. Mm-hmm. And it's not like an arbitrary thing. The reason why the scripture would say that is because in the day you try to exalt yourself unto life, that will kill you. Not God will kill you. That will kill you. Right? Right? Yeah. right? When you tell your kid not to run out in the street <laughs> because they could get hit by a car. Are you giving them a test to see if you like them or you don't like them? Are you testing them to see if they'll obey you? No, you're thinking if they run out into the street, that will kill them. Not if they run out into the street, you'll be very upset that they didn't obey you, and you will kill them. (laughs) But to Doug's point, that's what Western theology has done. Right? And they've made God the thief that steals, kills, and destroys. Ain't nobody coming to that God. And what's interesting about Western theology is the, the modern day people that adopt that theology, they don't even know where they get it from. Like, they don't even stop and go and look, where did this come from? They don't even study church history and see that eternal conscious torment wasn't even really taught until a certain point after Jesus was dead. That that's a more modern construct. They don't even bother to, how many people don't look into what they believe? Listen, the Eastern Orthodox Church also has things 
that aren't exactly right. But do you know what they do at least? They know why they believe what they believe. Like they know exactly where it came from. And they're all the time reading it and understanding. Well, Maximus the Confessor said this, right? Well, Athanasius said this. Justin Martyr said that. Justin Popovich said this, right? Origen said that. They're understanding where those thoughts came from, right? And every time they say that, do you know what they're also confessing? Well, Paul didn't necessarily say that. Neither did Jesus necessarily say that. It's these dudes that said that. Well, in the Western church, you have no concept of that. Calvin is Jesus. John Calvin is Jesus. John Calvin is the apostle Paul. Augustine is the great apostle. Right? And they don't even understand that. They just assume that's the word of the Lord. But there's a whole other section of the church that does not think that's the word of the Lord. Right? You see the, the, the difference there with the, the, the resisting don't resist evil and then resist the devil. Right. You see how those two things fit together? Right. Right? And the way you would resist the devil is by being submitted unto God. And to Thomas's point, that's not a function of the will. It's found in you seeing the life he put on display in the resurrection. Right? And that convinces you that he is with you to give your life the care it needs. And that causes you to commit your life into his care instead of you trying to make straight Whatever it is that you see is crooked. Mm. That's the resisting the devil. Go ahead and make it straight. Go ahead. <laughs> right? You see? Wow. Wow. Mm. So if you, if you have something that's crooked, probably every single one of us in this room has something we can see that isn't born from life. That we either see or are experiencing in our everyday life. Every single one of us. Yeah. Every single one of us. So what that looks like is us not trying to reason within ourselves, us not trying to fix it, but us talking with God about the care he's taken for our life and what he's done in the resurrection to make everything straight. And it looks like us committing our desire for life to come forth in this situation into his hands. It looks like us calling him father and talking to him about how he has the ability to bring forth life in us, even in the midst of this situation. It looks like us looking to him as father and talking to him about his ability to bring forth life in us and to serve us with life. And even for that life he brings forth in us to potentially affect change in the room with relationships. We'll just hammer on relationships a little bit more. When, when Paul come preaching the gospels to the church in Corinth, right? They, they're trying to sort out their lives. They were pagans. They were idol worshipers, right? They did some unspeakable things. And so one of the things they wanted to know was about marriage, right? And they're like, okay, well, if I come to the Lord, but my husband or my wife has not come to the Lord, do I now divorce them? Is that the godly thing to do? That's a very real question. Yeah. Do you know why you would even have that thought? Because you see a bunch of crookedness in them. Yeah. And you see they're busy with the devil. And you can see all death manifesting in them. And you can start to think that can destroy your life. Uh, and you can start to think, i got to get the hell away from there. <laughs> Seriously, none of us are trying to hang out where we think something can destroy our lives. No, you're right. Well, what does Paul say? Paul says, no, you don't have to leave. He says, but rather, let them be whole. The life of God in you. Yes. Right? Because the life of God that's in you is greater than the destruction that's in them. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, 
That's not an intellectual thing. You got to say, okay, that's the right way to do it. I'm just going to go do it. That, I don't even want to say it requires, but the power for that to happen is for you to be connecting with God about his life mm -hmm. and that he's in you and you're in him. Because daily, if you're married to someone who's walking in destruction and all their thoughts are born from the carnal mind and everything they say and do is born from all lack in the wisdom of the world, daily that can try to sting you. Right? It can daily try to sting you. And the only way you're going to find yourself not trying to make it straight is by you fellowshipping with the Father and the life you have in the Father and that the Father's life is in you. The same thing Jesus did. The same thing Jesus did. Right? Now, Paul did say one thing, right? Save sexual immorality, right? If your spouse is out there running around, he did say then, yeah. right? And that, that he didn't make it a law that you have to do it, but he did say if that's the case that's going on, then really you're not really having any type of a marriage dynamic, right? Does that, does, does that make sense? Totally. Yeah, yeah, so the only action needed is to go to our Father yeah. and recognize right. He is our Father. First and foremost, most of us start twisting inside of ourselves about the crookedness. Yeah. Yeah. But like before we even know it, we've done thought about it for a couple hours. Seriously. And, and, we're, and we're very smart people. So we think we've come with some great answers. We, and we don't realize it, but within our, our surmisings about the crookedness, we make judgments about the people. Yeah. Not judgments about what's coming out of them, but judgments against their heart. Yeah. Right? That I promise you, those judgments didn't come from above. They came from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right. where you see death coming out of them. So you, now you judge their heart as evil. Right? right? Yeah. And, and next thing you know, you're implementing the serpent system, which is what made makes the crookedness to begin with, right. to try to fix the crookedness and make it straight. Yeah. And then you're very confused when it doesn't work out. <laughs> or, to, or to protect against the crookedness. Or to protect against the yeah. crookedness. Yeah, it, it reinforces what Matt said last week that when the blind man receives sight he still yes. reasons out of the wisdom of blindness yeah right. yeah yeah. Um, yeah you know you know i'm i'm becoming very aware that just now how i try and understand what the hell are you thinking <laughs> you know and, and it's like i get like i think that is a way in the life like 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 i'm trying to understand their darkness and, and it's like it's dark that, is, that, that should just be the end of it that's enough <laughs> But no, I gotta like crack it open. You, know? <laughs> you can't make the darkness light. No, yes, right. no, no. Right. But, right. but God can manifest the light in you. Right, right. Yeah. And then that light will war oh, against man. the darkness on your behalf. And so even if you think there's darkness that needs to be resisted or warred against, the only power that can do that is the light of God's right, life. Right. And so that's where you would actually go. So you could be filled up with the light. So the light could start manifesting yeah, there. But right. that's that's foolishness to the carnal mind. Because the carnal mind is like, no, 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 I need to do something. Right. You need to do something, bro. Yeah, that's, right. that's what Jesus is hearing. No, 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 no. Okay, the Father's nice, but what are we going to do? The flesh is like, what are we going to do? What do you mean? What do you mean we're just going to sit here? Yeah. The right hand's looking at the left hand. What is he thinking? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I like... I like this scripture from <laughs> Ephesians. It says, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whosoever doth manifest is light. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Light makes everything better. 
Yeah. I like the illustration you gave about Paul with the, talking to the Corinthians about the divorce situation because that actually fills out the rest of the verse about resist not evil yeah. because that's where he says, if any man smites you on the cheek, <laughs> turn the other cheek. Mm -hmm. Well, if I see that that can't take life away from me, I'm willing to lay down my life, let you hit me. I'll sacrifice myself so you can see that it doesn't bring you what you thought it would bring you by doing that, mm -hmm. which is exactly what Jesus did on the cross. Exactly. He and took all of that unto himself yes. to show, okay, you guys thought you would get relief by doing this to me, and it don't produce it. That, all that produces is death. And, and but so, yet they're going to see something in you that something's different about this guy. Yeah. And that's why Peter would come, be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in you. <laughs> and so and just to, to rehash Thomas's point, Jesus turned the other cheek as God. So the point is, the point is not you need to turn the other cheek so these people could see something different. Mm -hmm. The point is God turned the other cheek. The point is for your mind and your eyes to be fixated on the perfection of God. Yeah. And as your mind is fixated on the perfection of God, what will happen is God will perfect himself in you. Yep. Right. And you could find yourself turning the other cheek. But like the guy in the parable of the sower sowing the seed, where you know not why or how you turn the other cheek, yep. where like the spirit turned the other cheek for you. And after the fact, you're like, my goodness, did I turn the other cheek? Yeah. <laughs> right? It's not a function of, right. okay, well, I need them to see something different. And that's not what Matt said, but I'm just making sure there's no yeah. confusion. Yeah. It's not a function of, well, if I can turn the other cheek, then they'll see. No, no, no. It's that God turns the other cheek. And as I set my eyes on his perfection to serve me with life, even in the face of me trying to kill him, he's still loving me. He's still serving me with life, even as I'm serving him with death. Right? As you set your eyes on that, your mind goes away from your own ability and it gets set on his ability. And then you find him birthing or fathering himself in you. Right? Yeah, when you know you have a life that has been perfected, you don't have to worry about those types of things. Knowing that you have that life will have you turning the other cheek. That's right. Yeah. Glory to God. Good Thank stuff. God. Thank you all for coming. Thank everybody for commenting. Thank you.